Welcome to the Making Headway Podcast, a podcast for brain injury survivors by brain injury survivors, providing resources and camaraderie for anyone recovering from any type of brain injury, with your hosts, Aaron Martin and Mariah Morgan. Welcome to Making Headway Podcast. This is Aaron. And this is Mariah. And we're here for episode two. Thank you for coming back and joining (laughs) us. For those that maybe didn't catch our trailer or our first episode, we're really trying to focus on bringing survivors together so that we can share our stories. We're starting by telling ours so that you know why we're kind of in this and how we sustained brain injuries. We're also looking at having practitioners come on and share some of their stories. Like we're getting some of the science, some of the treatments, different paths and things that maybe you didn't think of that are actually connected to your brain injury. And maybe here you are thinking you're alone and dealing with this by yourself. So we really are just aiming to normalize the whole experience. So today we're going to cover Aaron's story. Last episode, I told mine. And Aaron's is, as you will hear, quite different from my experience. Um, Hers is fairly recent. It happened just a few months ago during quarantine. So Mm -hmm. an added layer of craziness here. And it's pretty fascinating because you could see mine coming because I was hit by a car. Aaron's was pretty spontaneous and seemingly came out of nowhere. So I will get out of your way, Aaron. Tell us a little bit about what led up to the injury, how it came to be, and how things went down. And I will let you go for it. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, my injury was a subarachnoid hemorrhage. So completely spontaneous. There was no trauma involved. A vein in my brain just popped. So I um, to set up the day, it was May 11th. We were just coming over, you know, April in our area was really the hardest hit month for COVID. I'm a nurse. I work at a hospital. I'm in a more administrative role normally, but because we were staffing up and getting ready for COVID, I had been on the floor. So actually being a nurse, a bedside nurse, what you would traditionally think of as a nurse. And I'd only been back in my regular position for about two weeks. So I was just starting to try to feel out how things are going to work in this COVID world. And so I went to work. I had a really good day at work. And I came home. And because the gyms were still closed, I did a workout at home. I was going to go for a run, but it was kind of drizzly. I'm not a big fan of running in the rain and in the cold. So I um, turned on a kickboxing online video through my kickboxing gym. And mid-jab, I had this horrible headache. And, you know, like, uh, Troy was there, my husband, and he was teasing me the whole time. Um, <laughs> if you know Troy, he lo- the more he loves you, the more you get teased. That's typical. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so he was making fun of my girly little punches, and I was trying to amp it up for him to look like a tough guy. And my head just all of a sudden, like, exploded. I thought maybe I was really dehydrated because I really hadn't had much to drink at work. Like, at first, it just felt like one of those pounding headaches that maybe you just need a drink, take a break, take a few deep breaths and it'll go away. So I tried that. It didn't go away. It just kept getting worse. I kind of stumbled over to the couch and my brain was pulsating so bad. It was in the back of my head and down into my neck that I'm like, Troy, I think, you know, maybe I was overdoing it. I need to check my blood pressure. So since I'm a nurse, I have that stuff at home still from school way back when. 
and he went upstairs to find my cough. He had just finished working out too. So he was a sweaty beast of a mess. <laughs> and he brought it down to me. And I can remember as I was laying on the couch, getting ready to take my blood pressure that I was like, geez, I either popped an aneurysm in my brain or I hurt my neck. And I really thought because my neck was where it hurt so bad that I probably hurt my neck because I was working out. That would make sense. You know, like mm -hmm. that would be an injury you would expect. So, you know, I did have that kind of thought that something was seriously wrong. I tried to take my blood pressure. It was through the roof. It was hurting my ears so bad, even hearing um, the sound of my own heartbeat, because that's what you listen for when you do yeah. a blood pressure, that I really couldn't get an accurate reading because it just, it hurt my ears too much. So at that point was when I realized I needed to go to the hospital. And I told Troy, like, I was just in a sports bra and a pair of pants, which it's strange. I never work out in just a sports bra. But for some reason that day, I felt like doing that. And Troy was still in his sweaty clothes. So I told him, you need to go change, you know, grab me some clothes. We need to go to the hospital. So he went back upstairs and he was getting himself and getting some stuff ready for me so that we could go. And I started projectile vomiting. I made it into the kitchen, fortunately, so it wasn't all over the new couch. Uh, <laughs> Not the couch. <laughs> that was a concern. That was a concern. And then at that point, I got super weak. I was trembly all over my body and I was super, super sweaty. Like I had that kind of gray, cold sweat. And I remember laying down on the floor and I told Troy that I need 911. Yeah. And Which he, is, it's pretty amazing <sighs> to me that, I mean, you're a nurse and thank goodness because you recognized so quickly that you really needed help fast. Because I yeah. feel like if it had been me, I probably would have been sitting there like, ouch, ouch. <laughs> but you have enough knowledge to know that it was bad. <laughs> Maybe, but also it was such severe pain that I think my body knew too, like this, this isn't right. Yeah. Like, and I don't know if that was nurse training or just that it hurts so bad. Mm -hmm. um, it really is nothing. You know, I've had a lot of people be like, well, I get headaches. So maybe it was that. And I'm like, no, no, like there's no doubting that something is seriously, seriously wrong when you feel that pop and that horrible, just pulsating pain. Hmm. So if you ever do feel that, please take it seriously. You need to go to the hospital oh. um, and probably 911. Mm -hmm. uh, I would not try to drive yourself. There's no way you could. <laughs> not a good call. <laughs> right. So I know Troy was kind of in shock when I said 911. And I feel like it took me a couple of times to be like, no, you need to call 911. Like this is this is a big deal. And then he kind of snapped out of it and he called. And I was so proud at how he handled himself with the phone operator. He knew exactly what to say. He was reading off my vital signs like, he sounded like a paramedic himself. I've, I've trained him well. He spent too much um, time with you. Right? <laughs> he really gets it. So, you know, I'm lying on the floor. He's down there with me. I can remember my dog coming over and looking my face, which I thought was super Aww. cute because she was really concerned about me. I remember the EMTs getting there. Brixie had to go get locked up in the bathroom. Not that she would attack, but she was just in the way. And I remember them putting an IV into my arm on the floor and giving me some medicine for nausea. I remember them trying to figure out how they could get me on the backboard and out the door, um, which door I would best fit through. That was kind of a, it felt like it took hours for them to figure that out. I'm sure it was like seconds. I remember getting out of the house onto the stretcher. And as they're trying to load me into the ambulance, I had an awareness that my neighbors were outside and that my husband was outside. 
And I was telling them that I needed to go to Exeter Hospital because it's cheaper for my insurance to go there. (laughs) But that's not the closest hospital to where I live. So they took me to a different one. And I remember Troy trying to tell the neighbors to take the dog and that he was going to follow me. So I knew that he was going to be there, which was really comforting to me to know that he'd be around. Then when they shut the doors to the ambulance, I puked everywhere. Mm -hmm. I remember feeling kind of ashamed that I made such a mess. They were getting me lots of drugs. And of course, my nursing mind was going with, oh, you should give me this one. You should give me that one. But none of it was coming out of my mouth. Yeah. And would they have let Troy come with you in the ambulance or because it was COVID? No. They wanted him to have his own car, mm-hmm. I think, just so because they didn't know what was going to happen with me. Right. So sense. I'm really not sure. COVID didn't come up at that time. Mm-hmm. But by the time we got to the hospital, he wasn't allowed in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story that he tells, you know, he tried he tried to go in and the security guards were like, what are you thinking, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> we're not letting anybody <laughs> nice in this try. place. Yeah. So he had to go back to the parking lot, which is, I think, where you found out that mm-hmm. something was going on. Yeah. Um, well, I think he texted us before he started driving that's when we were in our kitchen after putting babies to bed and we got the text from Troy and I Nat my husband and I were in the same place and I just remember no Troy called us that's what it was he called us he called me and usually we text and so the fact that Troy was calling I remember being like something is not right Mm. it must be an emergency and he was very measured on the phone and it was quick because he needed to drive but um but yeah it was just an alarming moment for sure so and I just remember thinking how a how scary it was and b especially strange for Troy who was like one step removed removed from everything that was happening to you yeah yeah so he had to stay out in the parking lot for a good long while and up until that point, they, so they had brought me into the emergency room. When I got there, I was all prepared that I was going to have to make a case that I wasn't just some girl looking for narcotics for a headache. Again, all this is in my head. I wasn't able to speak. I really wasn't, you know, I could talk, but I wasn't that coherent to be able to. And I remember them calling code stroke. And then I was like, what? That's way overkill. Like, what are these people doing? Everybody chill. Right? Like, it's not that bad. <laughs> but it was that bad. They brought me to the CAT scan right away, and I remember getting back in the room and the doctor coming in immediately looking very serious and saying, you have a brain bleed, you have a subarachnoid hemorrhage, it's life-threatening, we're getting the helicopter to take you to Mass General. And that, I mean, that didn't really hit me. At this point, they'd given me a lot of medications. I was high as a kite. (laughs) So I think a lot of my normal fears or responses were kind of dampened. And I was just like, whatevs, I'm here, whatever, do what you need to do. I was concerned about having to go in the helicopter because I thought that would really hurt my head because it'd be really loud and I didn't want to do it. And it turned out they couldn't because it was raining. So they took me by ambulance. They did let Troy in before they took me away. I remember him walking in to my room. He had a, I remember thinking, wow, that's a really pretty blue mask. (laughs) And I stared up at him and I felt peace, a lot of peace. And I was like, wow, this is what it feels like to die. Yeah. And that was when it, you know, it wasn't scary to me. It was just kind of like, this is what, this is the end. Like, this is what it's going to be. 
And looking at his face and seeing that concern, I was like, but wait, if I, if I allow myself to die, I'm not going to be here for Troy. And I would really miss him because I love him so much. And, you know, I'd really miss my dog and I'd really miss my family. So I guess I just can't. I, I just have to live. And it was just kind of matter of fact, like, no, you saw the light, but you're not going to go there. And it was decided. <laughs> it was decided. And that was the way it was. <laughs> so that was really like in hindsight, you know, knowing that they allowed him into the emergency room. I know at our hospital, the only people that we were allowing in was if they thought you were going to die and that this was the last time you were going to see your loved one. So that really shook me, but probably a few weeks after my um, discharge yeah. from the hospital. I get goosebumps every time that part of the story comes up. Just yeah. the fact that they let him in yeah. at a time when they weren't letting visitors into hospitals. Was, yep. Yeah. That, that, that to me kind of struck home some of the seriousness after the fact. Because through the whole thing, I don't think I ever grasped how bad it was until I got home and could put it all together. Kind of like you, Mariah, in your mm-hmm. story. It took hearing all the pieces to put it together. Yeah. So, you know, they get me to Mass General. I Troy was not able to go to Mass General. They told him, don't even bother. They don't let anyone in there. And for those um, who are not familiar with our area, uh, we live about an hour north of Boston. So it's an hour yes. away. Yeah. So they took me by ambulance. All I remember is them taping my head down. And I was so grateful to be in something. So the whole time I thought it was my neck, even though after they told me it was um, a brain bleed, I was really concerned that I was going to be paralyzed because no one was stabilizing my neck and it hurt so much to move. So they taped my head down. I felt really good for the ride. I don't remember it. I remember seeing some lights that, you know, the mass general sign lit up, but that's really it. I got into the emergency department. I remember them telling me they needed to do more pictures in my brain because their pictures are better. Good old Boston. <laughs> um, and then I woke up in the ICU. Mass General's big enough that they have specialized units. So I was in the neurologic ICU, which I found out the week before had been a COVID ICU, but it had just switched back. And there was a resident, his name was Pablo, and he sat there and told me everything that was going on very slow. He was the first person to really slow down and spell it out for me that I'd had a brain bleed. It didn't look worse from the hospital that I was at before. It looked like it was stable. They may have to shave my head and go in and put a drain to drain the blood, but they weren't sure. They were just going to watch for now. He told me that I'd be getting angiograms, which is a special type of imaging that they do by going in through your artery, either in your groin or in your wrist. And they snake up a camera and then they shoot dye and they can see where things are leaking in your brain and look at all the vessels. Um, So he told me I'd be having one of those the next day and that the nurses were going to take good care of me and that they were really going to work hard on controlling my pain. He also told me, thank God that I could have a Foley catheter because I couldn't pee. (laughs) It had been at this point like, you know, seven hours of not being able to pee. So he did that. And he called my husband and he kept everyone really informed. The ICU experience was phenomenal. The next day they did do that angiogram and they were able to see that they didn't think it was an aneurysm or a birth defect in my brain. They thought it was a vein that popped, but I have to have three. I had to have three of those spaced out as the bleeding got better, they need to be able to look at the area that could have been covered up by and clouded by the bleeding to make sure that it was just a vein that popped. So fortunately, it was just that after I had the three, they do um, one at the hospital, 
then they do one a week later into your stay at the hospital, and then you get one six weeks after when you're discharged. And all those showed that it was a, a vein, so it's called a perimesencephalic subarachnoid hemorrhage. The best kind of subarachnoid hemorrhage you can have, if there is a best kind. If you have to have um, one, go for that. Right? It's the one that you want if you can have it. I was fortunate, you know, during my hospital stay, I was in the ICU for four days and I was in the step down unit, the neuro unit for four days. I was fortunate that I didn't have any stroke symptoms. Most of the effects were cognitive and behavioral. I did have, since it, the brain bleed was on the right side of my brain down by my neck from my brainstem to C3. So it was in a very critical area, but I was always able to breathe on my own. I was always able to maintain my own vital signs. So I was really, really lucky. I did have issues in the hospital with my heart going too slow, my electrolytes, especially my sodium, your body. So your brainstem regulates all those automatic things that your body does. And my electrolytes were kind of all thrown off, which are like the little electrical impulses you need for all your systems to work, for your heart to work, for your muscles to work, for your thinking to work. So for me, my sodium was messed up and I had to be on a fluid restriction for about a month, meaning I could only drink a liter of fluid, which I mean, it was a hot summer this summer and yeah, you have a tough. brain injury with limited impulse control and you can't drink a lot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Wait, you, you need to tell us what the shortcut you, you made up for this was. Yeah, so I did. I... um. I was very creative afterwards. <laughs> I was definitely manic and my brain was rushing right along. And the first time Nat and Mariah came to visit there, they asked what I needed. And I told them a watermelon, <laughs> so a whole we brought, watermelon. We brought Erin her watermelon <laughs> it because was, it has fluid in it. <laughs> exactly. And we couldn't measure it. I wasn't going to allow Troy to crush it up and measure it in a measuring cup. It was just free fluid that I could eat. So that was my creative way around a fluid restriction. Don't tell the doctors. Right. <laughs> Another big thing I had, you know, I had a lot of pain all the way from my brain down to my tailbone where my bleeding was. Um, so you have little membranes around your brain and your spinal cord. It's all the same membrane. And mine was in the membrane that has the cerebral spinal fluid. So you can think your skull is really hard. It doesn't expand with pressure. Your spine is not meant to expand and you don't want it to, or you wouldn't neurologically function very well. So when you add bleeding to an area that already is a closed system that can't expand, there's a lot of added pressure and a lot of pain. So I dealt with that for probably a good month. I had to be on steroids for that. And I don't know if it was the brain injury or the steroids, but between the two, I was manic for about a month. And I, I you know, I think... No, I, sometimes I really didn't know how bad I was because that's a true feature of mania is that you can't yeah. recognize it in yourself. Can you explain for the listeners what you mean by by saying that you were manic? Yeah, I I was unable to sleep for a month. I was awake all the time and my brain was on hyper overdrive. It was just go, 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 go. I was texting. Poor Mariah got, probably got like a random <laughs> stream of thought through text message. Um I thought I knew everything. I thought I knew the answer to everything. I was willing to tell anyone, everyone exactly what I thought. I kind of had diarrhea of the mouth. I'm a very introverted person at baseline and I it takes a lot actually for me to tell my thoughts unless I'm feeling frisky. <laughs> and I was just 
completely like, this is how it is. And this is the way it's going to be. And I'm going to tell you a hundred million miles an hour. I couldn't be quiet. There were some, there was one night where I was sick of my own voice because I'm an introvert. I need that quiet time. (laughs) And I actually taped my mouth shut. Um, (laughs) just because I couldn't even stand my own voice. It, it, the mania, I think allowed, well, maybe it wasn't the mania, but I became euphoric with it. Like I just, everything felt good. Everything was amazing. Everything was awesome, even though I wasn't. Mm. And, you know, it, it allowed me because my brain couldn't hold up the barriers that I'd had in place for good reason. So I was remembering things that were repressed. It that gave to me, me is a crazy one. I get yeah. that's amazing that that happened. Yeah, I just I no longer had the energy to keep it up. Mm-hmm. So I was exploring a lot of different things that were going on in my brain. And I think, you know, in hindsight, it was a valuable experience. I do apologize to everybody that I drove insane. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, that that was a huge part of it for me. I had very limited impulse control while I was manic. I was shopping. You know, all my nieces and nephews and everyone in my life got dolls and books. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, uh, Troy had to take away my phone. He had to take away my credit card. It was rough. He, it was really rough on him because I felt like he was being my father, you know, that he needed to take care of me. And it was just a different dynamic in our mm-hmm. marriage. I'm not dependent. I'm a very independent, headstrong person, but it's hard to be independent and headstrong when you don't know your own limits. And so Troy was having to put a lot of those in place for me and be my boundaries. And it put him, you know, it was just a rough, it was a rough spot for him. It was a rough spot for me. And about a month after I finally started being able to sleep and realized that I was not God's gift to the world and <laughs> I didn't know everything. And it's time to kind of take a step back. <laughs> So, you know, I I struggled for a long time after that with photophobia, meaning, you know, lights were really hard for me. I had a blackout mask that I would wear. The pain gradually got better. I had trouble with walking initially. I was able to walk, but it was very, very slow. And it took months for me to get up to a normal speed. My eyes would have a lot of pain. I couldn't really look at screens. I have uh, blue light blocking glasses now that I wear because my brain gets um, very stimulated by that blue light and it makes it so I can't sleep and it gives me headaches and makes it hard to focus. I just got a pair of those a couple of weeks ago. They help. Yours yours look way better than mine. Oh, thanks. They're from (laughs) Amazon. They're cheap. (laughs) They are cheap. (laughs) So those were some of my biggest side effects. I'm just looking to see if I miss any of the other ones. Oh, I had trouble reading for a long time. I couldn't focus on things that minute. I couldn't, you know, the fatigue and exhaustion were just overwhelming. I still struggle with cognitive fatigue. The more you use your brain, the more energy it soaks up and the more tired you get. And you don't realize how often you're using your brain to filter things out. I think you've done a remarkable job of being able to recognize when that's happening and vocalize your need for rest. That was always a hard thing for me, but I admire the way you've you've handled it. Thanks. And that's due, you know, to my speech therapist. I was very fortunate. I wasn't sent home with any services. I did have a physical therapy friend who I contacted when my back was hurting so bad because I knew she could help me. And she was the one that really pointed out to the fact that I I need more professional help, <laughs> not just physical therapy, but I really needed cognitive therapy and that that's something a speech therapist does, mm-hmm. which I never knew that, 
you know, you think speech and you think talking or, you know, for us nurses, we think swallowing evals and getting people to swallow better, but you don't think about a speech therapist doing that higher executive function. Mm -hmm. You know, all the things that your brain needs to do to be able to process speech and process language you don't think about that part. And I was very fortunate that I got hooked up with someone initially at home and then through outpatient therapy at Mass General, which is all virtual, which is also amazing because I couldn't drive for a long time. So they really have been the ones that have pointed out, you know, I thought I had memory issues, but I don't have memory issues. I have trouble focusing. Mm. And that was something that I had beforehand. But as I mentioned, your brain kind of loses the ability to have those barriers and those coping mechanisms in place. So, you know, because my brain was so tired, all those normal coping mechanisms that I used before my bleed to help me pay attention and to not fly off the handle were dampened. And, you know, the ability to pay attention kind of got amped up that I really just couldn't do it. So she was the one that helped teach me how to do that. And that I need to tell people, you know, that you need, if you want my attention, you need to stop me and say, you need it so that I can focus on you. And then I'll probably remember it. If I'm trying to do too many things, I'm not going to pick that up. Well, and that's such a good thing to be able to recognize and tell people who are close to you about, I mean, like learning how to teach them to better communicate with you and get the most out of the communication back is such a helpful thing to learn, even for people without brain injuries, to be honest. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Some other strategies that I've been able to use are besides just being open with everyone, I figure there's no need to hide that there's something wrong with me. I need people to know because it's an invisible injury. So I'll tell them up front that you need to try to get my attention, that if it's a loud environment, I'm probably not going to catch everything. So if this is something really important, please send it to me in an email, especially Mm -hmm. at work so that I don't miss pieces. I take a lot of notes now. I've always been a note taker, but now I'm really not relying on myself to remember it because I work in a hospital. And even though it's a little more on the administrative is the wrong word, I but I, I don't do the bedside support, but there's still, there's call bells, there's people yelling, there's people talking, there's lots of different things that could distract you. So mm-hmm. I have to write it down rather than think, oh, I'll remember that when I get back to the office. Cause I don't, yeah. cause your brain just can't maintain it all. Mm-hmm. The blue light glasses I mentioned, those are really helpful. Not doing screens before bedtime so that I can sleep because I do still have issues with insomnia using um, noise canceling headphones. I have to do that at work, especially if I'm doing computer work, because every little beep or buzzer, I'm paying attention to that. And I no longer have that. Yeah. So that might, you know, some of you guys might want to use something like that too. A big piece of my recovery has been the mental health. A lot like Mariah was saying, it drags up some stuff. Having a brain injury is no joke. Um, You're really forced to reevaluate your life and prioritize You know, for me, it was knowing that I was, you know, know, when I thought I was dying and it was Troy and it was my dog and it was my family. Those were the things I was thinking about, not work. And before my brain bleed, I was spending every living moment of my life thinking about work, doing work, trying to do work better. I was never taking breaks for myself. And that's, that's not what matters at the end. Like, it's just not. So it helped me reprioritize and to be able to be a better advocate for myself. And 
that I can't just give, 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 because eventually there's nothing left in your cup. Mm -hmm. So you got to figure out how to fill that back up. And boundaries. I mean, you and I have talked so much about putting up boundaries in order Mm -hmm. to stay healthy. And and that I think has been uh, like, I've watched you basically go through that process. You're doing great. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Well, I never had that before. I always was under this false kind of thought that, you know, I'm never going to be given more than I can handle. So rather than me having a boundary, I was expecting other people to recognize if my load was too high and that they would just back off if it was because, you know, I wouldn't. And if I was being given it, it was my job to take on everything at 100% capacity and Mm -hmm. to do my best work for every single thing. And you Mm -hmm. just can't function that way. So that's been a big thing is for me, like just being able to have the ability to set personal goals, not just that I need to get ahead at work. Cause that's all it was before was I just got to do anything I can to just be better at work and to make more money. Well, that, that doesn't matter. Um, now my goal is I need to do everything I can to have the best cognitive and mental health that I can. If this is going to impact me from having the best quality of mental and cognitive health, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. I, I have to put that first. So that, that's been huge. Like Mariah said, I, if you would ask me if I wanted this taken out of my life, I would say no. The brain injury really has been a wake-up call for me. It has helped me recognize how important and how large my support system is. You know, I have the best husband and I need to give him props. He does so much for me. I have the best friends. Nat and Mariah are really special. You know, I have a lot of other friends that have really been there. My family has really been there for me. And those are the things that matter. So I'm making my life revolve more around that. It's helped me to really stick to counseling, um, mental health counseling. Like I said, I had some repressed memories that came up and it's really helping me to readdress and to look at why I did things the way I did and how could I do it differently as I rebuild all those synapses in my brain and develop new coping mechanisms with um, my speech therapist, I'm able to see that some of the ways I did things were destructive. You know, I was a very anxious person before this, and I would kind of fall down that anxiety hole because if I could just think about it and ruminate on it and blah, 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 I would get a better result when really it was just zapping all my energy and it was actually making me less effective because all my energy was spent on worrying about it. So now I'm learning ways around that on new coping mechanisms where I don't have to do that. I'm also being more vulnerable. I have joined the Brain Injury Association of New Hampshire's Brain Injury Support Groups. I don't know that that's something I would have done before and it's really eye-opening to see everyone else struggling with the same things that you are. And it really normalizes that behavior. And for me to say that I'm one of, you know, I'm one of those people, I do have problems. I'm not perfect. That's huge. I I've grown up as being a perfectionist and that's, that was the expectation. That's how my family functions. And, you know, it's just the way everyone's always been. It's no judgment on anybody, but we've always aimed to be the best version of ourselves that we can be at the expense of living life and being vulnerable and being real. So I think that that's, that's huge. I'm, I'm just so grateful. I've had so many lessons that I've learned along the way. Self-love and compassion for myself is really probably the biggest. I think it's very easy for me to judge someone 
to not judge someone else and judge myself. And I don't give myself the same love and compassion I'd give to a friend. So that's been huge. And knowing when to step out, when to say, I need a rest, I need a break. I'll get back to you on that. I want some time to think about it. The whole working slow, you know, I'd tell anyone, you know, advice from this. Being slow is not being lazy. I always thought that those that are just sitting back and kind of hmm, thinking about it were maybe lazier or something. And that's not the case. We need to go slow. We need to try to work it through and figure it out. Everybody, but especially us brain injury people, we need time to think about that. You really have to advocate for yourself. That's another big lesson that I think both Mariah and I have learned through this. Mm -hmm. We've talked about it before um, that you just, people don't recognize how different maybe you really are from your baseline. Um, You may be feeling things that you think, eh, maybe I should sweep that under the rug. And no, don't Mm -hmm. do speak out. You know, if you're feeling very tired I know I was feeling kind of out of control of my life. I was feeling like I was forgetting things, like I couldn't focus. I couldn't sit down long enough to do anything. And those are all symptoms of brain injury, the depression, the anxiety, all of that too. Like we don't live in a silo. Our brains are made up of our biology, our psyche, our cognition, our experience. There's so many pieces to it. So do, if you see something in yourself, say something. I mean, if you see something, say right? something. We Just say like that. We say that, yeah, for everything yep. else. So yep. do that for yourself too. Yeah. So many lessons. Yeah. And I feel like they keep coming too. They absolutely do. Mm-hmm. I, you know, Mariah talked about this not being a religious podcast. And I wouldn't say, you know, I, I love, I, I believe in God, but I don't um, necessarily prescribe to any one religion. I'm very open-minded when it comes to that. But this... This has really been kind of a shaping moment for me to kind of release some of the guilt. You know, religion has lots of rules that you have to follow and releasing some of that and just being loving and kind and open and showing that to others is so important, no matter what you believe. And this really kind of brought that down to me. Like, I don't have to follow this rule to the T. I just need to love others and be kind. And we need to share that with each other. That's a huge lesson and a whole reason we want to have the podcast. (laughs) It makes sense that if you're faced with not existing anymore, that you really do put a magnifying glass on what you want your existence to be from here on out. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And just reinventing yourself. Mm -hmm. Well, those are wonderful lessons. It's an amazing story. Is there anything else you want to share with survivors or anyone on the recovery journey um, that we haven't covered already? Well, you know, uh, one other point was that self-sacrifice, like if you're, if you're thinking you need to put yourself back together as soon as possible, and that you're just going to keep giving out of your cup, self-sacrifice isn't, it's not love and it's going to make you so tired and ineffective. It really is okay to take a rest. Take the time. You've had something horrible happen. Take the time and do what you need to do to get yourself better. It's huge. And honestly, if you're working out or if you feel a pop in your head, (laughs) do not go to bed. (laughs) Go to the hospital. (laughs) Yes. Those are the signs. So severe head pain, projectile vomiting, something's wrong in your head you need to go to the hospital don't wait yeah don't wait for sure 
Well, thank you for sharing your story. It's an amazing one. And um, to all of you out there listening, we will definitely check back in with you in future episodes about where we are in our journeys. It's, you know, changes on the daily. Mm -hmm. Um, But thank you for joining us. And please check us out on social media, Facebook and Instagram. We are at Making Headway Podcast and our website is makingheadwaypodcast.com. And we're so glad to have you here with us on our podcasting journey. And please join us next time. We look forward to it. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. Thanks for joining us on the Making Headway Podcast. For more information and show notes, visit makingheadwaypodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a review. Check us out at Making Headway Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and share with your friends. Catch you next time. All topics are intended to be used for educational and entertainment purposes only. The podcast is not to be used as a substitute for medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare provider for any issues or treatment considerations you may have. For our full legal terms, please see our website at makingheadwaypodcast.com.